Oh, my God. 
minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
ארת גדולה בנות ערב, צועד במעלה השדרה, חושב על דברים שכאלה, שאחרי שקיעה יש זריחה. שוב יוצא אל הדרך, בצלילה אל תוך מחשבות. גם שלמה בשירו אל המלך, הרגיש אותם רגשות. כי מים רבים לא יוכלו לכבות את האהבה. מים רבים לא יוכלו לכבות. מים רבים לא יוכלו לכבות את האהבה. מים רבים, מים רבים. החוץ כבר שקע לה השמש, ובפנים נדלק לי האור. פנס שמאיר את הדרך, אליך לחזור. כמו אייל על אפיק של מים, כמו מדבר הצמא לגשמים, ושלמה שידע שבעתיים, כתב בשיר השירים, שמים רבים לא יוכלו לכבות את האהבה. מים רבים לא מים רבים לא יוכלו לכבות את
Thank <laughs> you. 
J.M. in the A.M. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to a Friday Erev Shabbos. I know I've sounded better. I know it. (laughs) Trust me, I know it. I know I've sounded better, but uh, trying my best on a Friday Erev Shabbos. Feeling fine, by the way. Seriously feeling fine. Just this, uh, these cold-like symptoms and uh, what this, uh, whatever I have has done to my voice are the two things that stand out. But thank God, Baruch Hashem, feeling great. Jumped out of bed this morning after last night's live stream with the One Israel Fund, which was, thank God, a big success in um, in part because of the generosity of this audience and the people who follow what I do around the world. So thank you, thank you, thank you for that. And uh, I wake up this morning, there's snow on the ground here in lower Manhattan. I'm assuming that in the New York, New Jersey area, there's snow in a lot of places this morning. Listener Tikva in Petach Tikva tells me it's pretty cold over there in Petach Tikva, so I guess winter has officially arrived everywhere at this point. It is Erev Shabbos Parsha Shmos with candlelighting in New York at 413, 413. Make sure you know when things start where you are. You heard the Zemer done by Joey Newcomb, Micha Gamerman's Tvilot Shabbat medley. Rise Up from Simcha Liner, Shlomo Katz and Todah. Shabbos done by Abe Cohen and Company. Ruli Yizrachi's Mayim Rabim. Mizmor Lasoda done by Avraim Alavim Freed. Yehuda Glantz with Yibanen, of course, Regesh, Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. Welcome to a Friday with 32 degrees, snow and a high of 46. Yeah, it's going to be warming up through the morning, don't worry. Um, rain after midnight tonight with a low of 40 and then rain for Shabbos Day in this area with a high. Of 50 degrees, 49 right now in Yerushalayim, 32 here in New York. We'll try to do our weekly update coming up. Rabbi Yudin's going to be calling in from Israel, please God, which is always extra special. And uh, Harry Rothenberg will join us about 25 minutes from now with words about Parsha Shmos. And, um, and we're glad you're with us. 
as we continue on a Friday Erev Shabbos right here at JM in the AM. Give me 
mind For everything there is a time So let's find on from the on fine A little bit of fun is fine Heart and soul they must align Together this one time Let's find the on fine On a Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, J.M. and the A.M., eighth day with Una Messer. You heard Anim's Miros done by Zevi Weinstock and Ari Zucker. Ari Goldwag's Biyado, Joey Newcomb had Zemmer, and you're listening to America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program, heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSiegel.com, on the NachumSiegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. And speaking of listeners-sponsored, a big thank you to everybody who gave to our fundraiser so far as we are. 80% to our goal, which is pretty amazing. Uh, and that page will stay up until the end of the calendar year for everybody out there who hasn't given yet to toss in a few bucks, bucks and keep us going. Erev Shabbos, Parsha Shmos, candle lighting at 413. On this Erev Shabbos, Harry Rothenberg coming up, Rabbi Yudin coming up. He'll be calling it from Israel, actually. Um, Malcolm Honeline, weekly update. We'll try to do as much of that as possible <laughs> while my voice holds out, and or holds up, I should say. And um, we're here until 9 a.m. at 10 o'clock at the Air of Shabbat Show with Mark Zamek. Keep that in mind. It's brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem every single week. Well worth it, as is all of our Air of Shabbos programming, including the final hour, which will begin at about uh, 3.15 Eastern time this afternoon. Thank you to the wonderful people at Kedem. Galit's all in the background. Oh, that's funny. I was wondering why I was hearing Miriam Wallach and me speaking. The video is going on the Cause Match page from a Tuesday morning show. It's actually pretty funny. Um, news coming up and plenty more, as we said, for the next couple of hours here at JM and the AM and the Nahum Siegel Network. Tomorrow night, Saturday night, Siegel with Avrami. Matis has JM Sunday this coming Sunday morning between 7 and 9 a.m. I thank Matis for that. And um, Monday morning... We will please God reconvene for a uh, back-to-school, back-to-work edition of JMNAM for those who have school and work next week. And I certainly hope I will sound better than I sound right now. Thanks to everybody who gave last night to the One Israel Fund. Another successful live stream with another goal-shattering total Baruch Hashem.
Galay Tzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday follows next. We say Boker Tov from Jam Nin. ליצהל השעה שתיים, באולפן שני חיימוביץ, מה שקורה עכשיו. שרי הממשלה התכנסו ביום ראשון הקרוב בישיבה מיוחדת במבוא חמה לאישור תוכנית לפיתוח רמת הגולן. כתבתנו המדינית מוריה אסרף וולברג מציינת כי מטרת ההחלטה המוצהרת היא להכפיל את אוכלוסיית קצרין ויישובי הגולן תוך ארבע שנים. את הצעת ההחלטה מביא לאישור השרים ראש הממשלה והיא כוללת בין השאר האצת תוכניות לבניית יחידות דיור חדשות, השקעות לעידוד התעסוקה, בעיקר בתחומי התיירות והחקלאות, פיתוח תשתיות והעלאת רמת החינוך. שר הביטחון בני גנץ אומר כי הוא מקווה שנצליח להביא את הסעודים להסכם נורמליזציה, ובמקביל יש לחזק את הקשרים עם ארצות הברית, את השלום עם ירדן ומצרים ועם מדינות הסכמי אברהם. בשיחה עם פעילי מפלגתו כחול לבן, אמר גנץ כי התקופה שאחרי שומר החומות היא התקופה השקטה ביותר שידענו בדרום במשך חודשים רבים. עוד אמר כי היה שמח אם החרדים היו מצטרפים לממשלה, וכי חשוב שיהיה להם ייצוג. בכביש 60 סמוך לכפר סינג'ל, סנג'יל שמצפון לרמאללה נהרגה פלסטינית כבת 60 מפגיעת רכב ישראלי. הנהג שחשש להישאר במקום נסע עד למחסום צה"ל בשילה, שם דיווח על המקרה והוא נחקר כעת. במקום האירוע מתגודדים עשרות פלסטינים והכביש נחסם לתנועה. כמה מארגוני הטרור ובחמאס החזית העממית והג'יהאד האסלאמי קראו לנקום את מותה של האישה. חשד לשפעת העופות בלול במושב מרגליות שמשרד החקלאות החריג מההנחיה להמית את העופות. בראשית השבוע הורה המשרד לכל הלולים במושב להמית את התרנגולות בשל המחלה שנמצאה באחד הלולים. כתבתנו עינב קרנר חשפה בגלי צה"ל כי לול אחד המרוחק מעט משאר הלולים הוחרג מההנחיה והמשיך לשווק ביצים לשווקים. כעת התברר כי גם בלול זה יש חשד להתפרצות המחלה והמשרד ככל הנראה ינחה להמית גם את התרנגולות בלול זה. יפן הודיעה כי תחרים דיפלומטית אך לא ספורטיבית את משחקי אולימפיאדת החורף הצפויים להתקיים בחודש הבא בסין. משמעות ההחלטה, משלחת האתלטים האולימפיים תגיע לסין, אך היא לא תכלול נציגים של הממשלה כנהוג. מזכיר ממשלת יפן הסביר במסיבת עיתונאים כי המהלך נועד למחות על הפגיעה המתמשכת של הממשל בבייג'ינג בזכויות אדם ובחופש הפרט. גם בריטניה, ארצות הברית, אוסטרליה וקנדה הכריזו על צעדים דומים של חרם דיפלומטי על אולימפיאדת החורף. ומזג האוויר, הגשמים המקומיים יימשכו היום מצפון הארץ ועד לצפון הנגב, והטמפרטורות תהיינה נמוכות מהרגיל לעונה. מחר ייפסק הגשם, תחול עלייה קלה בטמפרטורות, אך הן עדיין תהיינה נמוכות מהרגיל בעונה. אלה החדשות שערך דני זקן. Hako 
A group called Yidin featuring Maishi Tischler with that medley. Avram Rosenblum, the Diasperados, opening up the hour with Hakol Yoducha. That was a performance that took place on a Friday, Lagba Omer Friday, just a few months ago when we had our Lagba Omer special that we've been speaking about a lot this week here at JM in the AM. Uh, well, I guess it would only be appropriate after Tuesday morning's Giving Tuesday show that we dedicate Harry Rothenberg's words to Cheryl and Dr. J. Bienenfeld, and we will do that. This is for them and for all of you. Harry Rothenberg on Parsha Schmos here at JM in the AM. People in media have a phrase for when nothing's going on in the world. It's a slow news day. So they have to take boring stories and jazz them up and try to make them sound interesting. Off-duty fireman saves duck. That was this paper's big scoop for the day. Aggressive, hard-hitting journalism there. The first many years of Moses, Moshe's life, were one long, slow news day. In the beginning, we hear about how he's found and rescued from the Nile by Pharaoh's daughter. She gives him back to his birth mother to nurse him. Once he's weaned, she returns him to Pharaoh's daughter who raises him in the palace. And we don't hear anything more about him until he's 20 years old. He's now the overseer of the palace when he makes his fateful decision to kill the Egyptian taskmaster who's beating the Jew. But what was going on during all those years, formative years, teenage years, when he rose to become the overseer of the palace? Nothing, nada, we don't hear anything. No tabloids, no paparazzi, no pictures or videos of him squiring Egyptian starlets to red carpet events. Kept himself clean, restrained himself. Only Jew in the palace steering clear of all the temptations that had to be in his path. Now, does that story sound a little familiar? Of course it does. We've read it before. We've seen the same thing with Yosef. Joseph, only Jew in the palace, running the palace, running the country, steering clear of all of the many temptations that were thrown in his path. It's not a coincidence that we see these stories back to back. Moshe was piggybacking on Yosef's restraint that he'd exhibited earlier. In fact, the sages explained to us that when our forebears, our ancestors, faced and conquered challenges, 
They imprinted that ability into our spiritual DNA. They gave us the talent, the ability, the strength to say no in the face of temptation, to pass those tests. The Talmud tells us a story of the woman who watched as seven of her children were killed by an emperor because they refused to bow down to an idol. And just before the seventh one was killed, she went over to him and she whispered to him, when you get up to heaven, find Avraham and tell him he bound one child on the altar. I bound seven. She was recognizing that she had grabbed the strength, the resolve to sacrifice all of her children for God from Avraham, who had previously demonstrated his willingness to sacrifice his son. And so rest assured, if you're facing a difficult challenge, one of your ancestors previously faced a similar one, and they passed that test. And you'll say, no, mine's worse. That's a common argument. In fact, the sages tell us that somebody goes up to heaven, says to God, how could I resist the temptation? My, my passions just overwhelmed me. And God says, really? You faced worse temptation than Yosef? And you might say, yes, it's a different situation, a different generation, and yes, I am facing a more difficult test than any one of my ancestors faced. Well, what about the woman who had to sacrifice seven sons? Avram was only asked to sacrifice one. She drew on that strength, variation on a theme. She piggybacked, jumped on his shoulders, and gained strength from his prior act. And you might say, no, no one's ever faced this type of test. I've got a one-off. Not only is it more difficult than anyone faced, I don't even have anything to rely on because nobody ever faced this type of test. Well, then guess what? If you're in that situation, I feel for you and wish you tremendous success. But you can be Roger Bannister. You could break the four-minute mile. Once he did that, others were able to run a mile in under four minutes. You can introduce a new level of courage, of strength, of resolve, of restraint, of spiritual fortitude into the world. And then others can piggyback on that. They can follow in your footsteps. Suspicious flashlight finds a hat in a tree. I could hardly believe my eyes when I saw it up there. Ominous clouds turn out to be nothing. A Swansea town council is considering getting a color photocopier.
That shall show us, of course, before that, Yehuda Green, JM in the AM. Friday morning on this era of Shabbos. Thanks for joining us. We will embark on the weekly update in a moment. Um, I think Malcolm is committed to uh, doing the bulk of the talking this morning, which would be great for me. Hopefully that will uh, assist in my recovery from this uh, whatever it is that I got. Um, I'm calling it laryngitis because, frankly, I feel great, except for the fact that I have no voice. Erev Shabbos, Parsha Shmos, with candle lighting time at 4.13 on this uh, Erev Shabbos. I thank those of you who supported our own cause. I thank those of you who participated in our Giving Tuesday. We're at 80% of our goal. If you still want to give, it's cmatch.me slash fjb. Also, I thank everybody that joined us last night for the One Israel Fund event. They shattered their goal, which was great as we uh, try to reconnect or stay connected to Israel and supporting the heartland of Israel, the One Israel Fund was certainly one way to do so. (coughs) The disconnect that we are feeling with Israel is getting way too deep and way too large. J.M. and the A.M. with a reminder that our friends at JewishWorldReview.com have thousands of articles that you can print out before Shabbos, and you'll be um, informed and entertained and build your uh, intellectual capacity regarding Israel and the Jewish world over Shabbos as you read all those articles. Go to jewishworldreview.com, jewishworldreview.com, and take advantage of their amazing service. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays in the 7 o'clock hour for the weekly update at JM in the AM. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. Sound great. Thank you. Ready for opera. Thank you. People don't realize that for <laughs> that for a regular person, this is fantastic, and that normally I just sound so much better than the average. They just don't get it, Mal. I'm glad you get it. Thank you so much. Anyway, well, I relate, having gotten a little bit of the same thing. So, like the whole I country, huh? Like everybody else, yeah. Seems like style. The, seems like the entire United States of America has the same symptoms. Um. All right, I'm going to start with um. Uh, with the following, and that is that the United States Navy has seized arms from Iran at the same time. This is a headline in today's Amodia. At the same time that nuclear talks are scheduled to resume this coming Monday. What do you make of this latest news story? Well, there's a regular uh, practice of the United States monitoring the shipping that goes on in the Persian Gulf. This was a stateless 
fishing vessel that, uh, vessel that was uh, carrying 1,400 Kalashnikov rifles and about a quarter million rounds of ammunition and being taken probably to the Houthis in, in Yemen. Um, so the United States seized them because it's a violation of the U.N. Security Council resolution. And the um, uh, this practice, though, is going on all the time, that Iran is providing weapons there, as they are in Syria and Israel's actions in uh, to, to try to prevent uh, more and more sophisticated weapons from get, getting to Hezbollah or to the uh, groups inside uh, Syria backed by Iran. And uh, it's part of, of uh, the problem that everybody focuses just on the nuclear program, as serious as it is, uh, but doesn't look at the mischief and the destabilizing activities of Iran in the in the region. We know that they supplied, uh, I think, this, the 300 uh, drones now in the hands of Hezbollah. These are offensive drones. These can carry weapons. These can be used, uh, as you know, for a, a, a specific strike or for carrying weapons across the border. We've seen drones being used. So Iran... Um, both at the Vienna talks seems to to be uh, resistant to any progress. They are in talks with the Russians and the Turks over over uh, Syria. They are moving ahead in other regional things, and you see how some of the Gulf states are reaching out to Iran. And a lot of it has to do with a lack of confidence in where the West, including the U.S., is going to come out. You just described to us how these shipments are undertaken and uh, the way that they try to get these to other members of the enemy. How how often are these types of routes intercepted, or is this one few and far between? They're not few, um, and the, it depends sometimes, you know, how, how effective our presence is there in monitoring it. Also, you have others there in the Gulf, the ships of the other countries that try to monitor it as well, but the United States that actually has to do the interception. Israel has struck at some of the ships, as you know. There have been drone and other both remote and direct uh, interventions. Uh, but these things uh, are, are going on all the time. You know, Yemen gets almost no attention, and the focus is always on attacking Saudi Arabia uh, and their activities there and defending their country as they see it. But uh, the number of attacks this year doubled from last year against Saudi Arabia. It, it comes down to about 78 a month uh, where they are attacking. And, and this is part of the story of Iran that is so important to be told. But, you know, people are not uh, focusing on the nefarious activities. And now they're facing elections. They face uh, other choices. You see the, the delay tactics. They're starting the talks again on the 27th. Uh, and they had an interesting incident where the ambassador, the special envoy of Iran to the Houthis, who the Houthis didn't like because he wasn't consulting with them, um, was sent back home through a special flight from an Iraqi arranged because he had COVID and died the next day, although he seemed perfectly healthy when he left. And the you know at first there was an attempt to try to portray him as really being somebody else, and because they wanted to take the pressure off uh, the other person who was a well-known terrorist and said to have been and, and is on the Interpol list. Um, so they try to pull a fast one and say that he really has a dual identity, which 
quickly dissipated because he, he was the ambassador Irulu, and that's all. Uh, but you see that they're manipulating every situation. Uh, they're doing a massive military drill in southern Iran today, and they've revealed a new tank, a tank, uh, the Karad uh, uh, tank, which is manufactured in Iran, and they uh, do these periodically as a message. It's, it also shows that this is their priority. You would think that their low level of trustworthiness that they're displaying would have an effect on those who are sitting at the table with them. Right. And, and I think you see the frustration, Dick Sullivan's comment, some of the others in Israel and elsewhere, that uh, the talks so far haven't moved and that they had no intention of moving. In fact, if you look at the new budget that was submitted this week by Iran, by President Raisi, um, it, it would indicate, according to the experts, that they don't expect a deal. That the the, the uh, budget reflects the continuation of the situation as it is, which means the sanctions, etc. Uh, the economy is in total ruins, and the opportunity now to put more pressure on exists. And if we back off, and even the less for less deal that they get, you know, fifteen billion dollars instead of the hundred billion dollars. It is, it is a mistake. Now is the time that pressure should be on. We should be demanding it. You see the Europeans, by the way, finally coming around and expressing frustration and, and uh, appearing to back Israel more, though we never know from day to day whether that would, in fact, uh, if that would be the case. And one of the things that's come up, it's interesting, you know, because everybody speculates about how much time we know, and you see the admissions by Iran about the level of enrichment that they're going to 20% to 60%, saying that they'll get to 90%, which is weapons grade. But also uh, that uh, they can deliver it without having to wait until they have the ballistic missile and, and affixing the bomb. You can create a bomb and carry it on an F-16. And it turns out that A.Q. Khan, who was the father in Pakistan of their nuclear program, said this uh, years ago, when he died a couple years ago, um, and he... Uh, he shared the nuclear information with Iran and with others that the the um, ability to take a smaller weapon on an F-16 and just drop it someplace uh, changes again the, the schedules that everybody looks at and saying, well, it'll take them a year or two years. The speculation is not relevant to reality. It's funny. Their greatest tactic is delay, and they're great at it. That's the that's the whole game, and exactly, and everyone just keeps falling for it. It's amazing, and and now we see that there's a new railroad, uh, freight train railroad between Islamabad, Pakistan, Tehran, and Istanbul in Turkey. Uh, we see, you know, that that they move ahead on some of the regional uh, projects, putting pressure on neighbors, etc., and uh, you know, denying their own people the most fundamental things: water jobs, food, and the uh, international community doesn't care about the, what the suffering and the persecution of certain uh, of the ethnic groups within Iran. <laughs> the delays work for the international community when it comes to negotiation, and then they go ahead and delay their own people to get basic essentials, which is a whole other level of nerve. Um, let's go for a second to uh, everyone's favorite topic, and that's what's going on in Israel regarding coronavirus, when you see Italy and you see uh, uh, France basically taking a new approach of encouraging people to live with it, encouraging people to keep the uh, tourism pipeline open, 
uh, even you know during this spike and during this new variant. Um, what does that say about Israel, who will have none of that and uh, will continue to keep its borders shut? And actually, at the beginning of this week, turned the U.S. into a quote-unquote red country in this process. It's a very complicated question, as you know, and we've discussed it, um, and helping people who had real emergency cases to get in. Um, but, the you know, how can we second-guess on a thing like this, nobody knows what works, what doesn't work. The fact is that people are not dying, that this virus doesn't appear to be as deep. It's broader, and the hope is that you get her immunity. If enough, if it goes fast enough and not serious enough, they believe that it uh, it, it can uh, die out on, on its own. You know, people don't understand these viruses are very, have some sort of an intelligence, some ability because they want to survive. And and what we have to do, uh, I, I went to an event where every precaution in the world was taken for weeks beforehand, and yet a lot of people got sick. And I think we have to still take that in, <laughs> into account. Thank you. You see, I got it from you over the phone. And, um, uh, so I was trying to talk to save you, but Thank you. it didn't help. <laughs> Interesting, I'll tell you, and the um, and, and obviously, I mean, not that this has to be stated, but why not put it out there? Uh, aside from these emergency situations right now, because of the volume of people in this country that are either, te- either testing positive or have symptoms of some type, whether it's COVID or not, uh, no one's going to even start discussing reopening Israel. No one's even going to bring this to the forefront. Again, very frustrating for those who are desperate to get in for both good reasons and bad reasons. Uh, but otherwise, it looks like, you know, get get ready for the long haul, right? I mean, there's no way two weeks from now we're talking about regulations uh, that will allow for entry into Israel. I don't know if it's two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. I I, I don't think that they can keep it sealed, you know, in, uh, <laughs> interminably. It's, it's, the cost is amazing to the, to the various sectors that are involved. Tourism um, is an obvious one, but you don't think about the supplies and all the people – who are secondary and tertiary in terms of that industry, let alone uh, I have a lot of friends, you know, in, in high tech and others who are not able to consummate deals because they, they couldn't get out or they're afraid of not being able to get back. And I think, you know, it has a lot of ramifications. But precaution should not be condemned. And I think that, you know, some of the language that is being used by very well-meaning and wonderful people isn't temperate to, to say that it's a moral disgrace to, to use terminology uh, like that and that it's going to sever the ties. I think it makes people sit back and begin to appreciate Israel more, um, that the, um, you know, that's something we took for granted. We could just go and come, and now people, I think, feel the, how important Israel is in their lives and to them. Well, I will tell you, for the Hamon Am, for the general Jewish public in this country, it's not the case. Not the case. People uh, are talking th- about for the people who pe- want to go to Israel people, and go regularly. People are throwing, well, that may be, that may be. Maybe those who are there two, three times a year, it makes them pine for it more. But most everyone else at this point is just throwing up their hands and giving up. And, and, and giving and, up what? As much that, as, they, as they can't go, but they can't go to many other places also. Understood. They don't have grandchildren in other places. They don't. They don't have family. They're desperate to see. They don't have a grandchild. They haven't held yet. Well, they are. They did pass some regulation, or not pass, but uh, adopt 
that allows grandparents to come for life cycle events. Right. But first of all, not everything's a life cycle event. Some people would just like to see their newborn. And the other thing is that there that t- is a life cycle event. To see them? <laughs> to see grandchild, a new grandchild at risk. No, I'm talking uh, about a, I'm talking about like a that. grandchild that was born 18 months ago. But but, but the but the point. <laughs> well, no, they didn't wait. <laughs> well, because they they know what it's like, and, right. and everyone knows what it's like. The pressure and the last minuteness and the you know the the feeling of desperation, and you don't know what's going to happen when you go to the airport. People have just given up. But by the way, I need to, <clears throat> you know, we've harped a lot on this this week, and it's a theme that I've been talking about really for two years. But now it's really gelling. Now it's really materializing. And that is the disconnect between diaspora jury and Israel during this entire thing. And I'm surprised at this point, unless you know of somebody, I'm surprised at this point that nobody has really put together a uh, a collection of either articles or feelings or um, or testimonials from people who really can bear witness to the fact that this has affected them and their family in terms of the divide between diaspora and uh, diaspora jury and Israel. And I, um, I, I think it's time for that. I think it's time. There have been there have been a lot of articles, and uh, you know, Chief Rabbi of uh, South Africa, some others wrote uh, very strong attacks about this, about the impact that this is having, and and uh, driving a division. I, I'm I think that that has not been documented, but what the long term implications are that uh, in the uh, what I hear is that people long to go to Israel. I'm not saying it doesn't have an impact, and I'm not saying it, it hasn't restricted some young people who might have gone to Israel from from going this year. But, I mean, they have a responsibility. The government has a responsibility. You can second-guess it. You can feel it's wrong. What bothers me most is that the system is corrupt and that people can bypass it if they have the right contact or money or other things. Ingenuity. And, that's a good word. Um Right. So if there's enough ingenuity around, they have uh, and that affects they everybody, have to and it. it affects everybody else. But, <coughs> excuse, me. excuse me, I must say one thing though. Uh, I'm punishing you. <laughs> yeah, I guess you, Malcolm Holmline, have said countless times here and in many other places over the last God knows how many decades that diaspora jury has a say in what goes on in Israel, and you've you've. Um, qualified that statement sometimes by saying, okay, not 100% sure that you could say that definitively, that they have a, a role or a say in what goes on in Israel, but certainly they have a role and a say in terms of the future of Jerusalem, right? That's a point you've always made. Now, the Prime Minister of Israel served in the capacity of uh, Minister of Diaspora Affairs. He has, over the years, made interesting commitments to the diaspora, where Israel's government and and people would be there to support diaspora jury. And I just wonder if it was 20 years ago, I just wonder if we were back in the old atmosphere where Israel relied so much more on the diaspora than they do today. I wonder if this whole, well, 20 years ago, frankly, they'd be handling corona a lot differently. But I just wonder if, if, um, if this whole attitude that we could shut down and keep people out and not worry about the future ramifications, I wonder if that would be uh, undertaken in the same fashion that's being done today. Um, give me speculation. I know it's hard to, to predict both the past and the future, but give me speculation. Do you think if it was decades ago when the relationship was a little different between diaspora and Israel, they and Israel would look at this whole topic differently? You know, I, I can't give you a, a good answer because I just don't know. You're, you, you, as you said, it's not only speculative, 
but circumstances were so different. And look at this, Israel's economy drive it's the, the shekel is so strong against the dollar right. sustained over throughout all this period right. which would never have been the case right. in in the period that you're referring to right. you know you don't hear p- people aren't going hungry because of it there, there is hunger in Israel generally but um, you don't see a situation like you see in some other countries uh, and the I think it was 80 billion dollars in in high-tech um, you know uh, investments and takeovers or purchases of companies this year, astounding numbers that are still uh, quite remarkable, and that the economy is able to sustain itself and sustain the military. And um, people, you don't hear people in Israel complaining about uh, the lack of uh, basic and fundamentals. So it, it obviously would have been different 20 years ago in a lot of respects. And different today about, and, and I do believe that Jerusalem is different, but I, but I also believe that it, while we have a right to have a say, well, ultimately the decision is the people of Israel's and the government they elect when it comes to their safety and security, which means military, but also I think in terms of their health, that they're the ones who have to live with the consequences. They're the ones who have to, to deal with the ramifications of the decisions that are made. And while we we have a say, and I believe that uh, you know it's it's in the family and it should be done in the family, uh, and maybe sometimes sensitizing public officials who may look for the easy way out, which is to just to close the border rather than saying we're going to institute uh, really strict measures and find more advanced ways of uh, of screening people, but. Uh, you know, it's easy to sit on the sidelines. Every government that I know is wrestling with the same issues and the same questions, and nobody seems to have come up, not France, not England, anyone, anybody with a good answer. They're, they're still closing down uh, periodically in their borders, their schools, the, the uh, universities. Nobody so far uh, that I've seen has come up with a good answer. Well, the answer is, as we've been told for years, if you want to have a role in what's going on in Israel, um, the people who wanted that role should have moved there. I never th- four thousand people this year—a record. Made, Americans made Aliyah during COVID. Yeah. So I never thought that that attitude would prevail, but uh, hey, I've lived to see it, and that's what the attitude is. And uh, for those of us who've made that mistake, we got to live with it. It's America's one and only Jewish. Moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSegal.com and the NachumSegal Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman. <coughs> Conference of presidents of major American Jewish organizations. By the way, I just want to wish a mazel tov uh, to uh, Rachi and Lee Niren of Elizabeth, their son Shimon's off-roof, an upcoming marriage to Michaela Kimmel is happening. And a special shout-out to the grandparents, Miriam and Lenny Holstuck, who are likely listening right now. And we wish them a very special Mazel Tov. By the way, what do you think when the foreign <coughs> what do you think when the foreign minister of Israel supports an Iran deal? And is it smart for the foreign minister of Israel to do so publicly? So I don't think he's supporting the Iran deal. I don't think that is the position of the government of Israel. Clearly, that was not the message given to uh, the National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan. It was not the the message given to Blinken and others. Uh, Israel's opposition remains clear. Um, Sullivan said that he believes the end of the talks could come in in a couple weeks, and that 
and offered three options, uh, a new sanctions and a tough position, a freeze for a freeze, meaning that they freeze where they're at, we freeze where we're at, or which is a less for less, I think, and um, or that they um, take the total deal and uh, move ahead with it. So uh, full implementation, that does not seem to be the case. It doesn't seem to be what Iran uh, is interested in uh, uh, doing. Uh, by the way, the, the reports that Israel, oh, its prime minister was denied a phone call with Biden for three months um, has been clearly repudiated by the prime minister's uh, uh, office. Had that rumor start? Because everybody picks up something. It could be that somebody said, you know, we haven't had a discussion in three months. The next guy said, you know, Israel's been trying to talk to him for three months. And But but when you look at the record, Blinken has been there. Ambassador Thomas Greenfield was there. And people are going all the time from Israel. McGurk has gone to uh, Austin, the secretary of, of um uh, 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 of defense and and many others. I mean, there's a constant stream of uh, of exchanges there and here, where uh, Gantz has been here many times and others uh, coming on a fairly regular uh, basis. So we'll have to see what uh, the, the the where the talks go. Right now, there's no evidence that that they're going to move ahead. I believe that is there's still a chance the Iranians will. Um, try to come out with some sort of a compromise deal. They're buying time all the time that they're enriching at a faster and faster speed at a, with new and, and much more advanced uh, centrifuges, which means that it produces it faster at a higher degree. They're building up stockpiles. They are um, training their, their troops for any kind of activities. I do not believe they have the capacity that they are uh, advertising that people think it's it's a important country, a powerful country, but I think the um, the options are there to do whatever is deemed to be necessary in order to um, to stop this program. We cannot allow it to go hot. Once it's hot, it's too late to strike because then you spread the nuclear um, uh, uh, fallout would be very very great. You know, with all yep. the discussions we've had about about the potential strike, and obviously it's a topic for God knows how many years and decades here already. I think only recently, only I think only a few weeks ago, you revealed to us that uh, that piece of it uh, that that it's 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 too late to strike. Not only because they'll have what they need in order to strike themselves, it's too late to strike because if you do damage to the facility, God knows how much other residual damage will be done. And I didn't realize that, and it's a uh, it's a really scary proposition, frankly. It is indeed, and the, you know, in the Middle East, you know, a cloud of the, of the uranium dust can travel a long distance. Yeah, that I'm sure. Um, all right, before I turn it over to you, just to update us on whatever else you'd like to uh, brief us on, just g- give me give me a word about the Chomesh situation. Uh, I get it was part of the disengagement. I get that there has been a yeshiva there on and off for the last 15 years, but in, in, in light of, uh, of the murder of um, a member of the Dimitman family, I, I always think this is one of the most effective strategies, and that is to look the other way and let people build uh, to show the enemy what we're ready to do or what our sons and daughters are ready to do in Israel um, if, in fact, terror continues. With this prime minister, I would think he comes from that 
type of political background where he understands the importance of leaving a yeshiva there on the spot. What are your feelings with thousands of people protesting what the Israeli government wants to do? Well, first of all, we have to take note of the fact that there have been a series of attacks. This is a very brutal one where they fired on the, on the car. Fifteen bullet holes were found in the car. Uh, and this young man who has a, a little baby um, uh, killed, uh, doing nothing but learning and going home for, for lunch. The um, and, and there has to be some sort of demonstrative act. I think the march was very moving and the, the Tvilot and everything that, that uh, accompanied it. And yet, you know, the world focuses on what? That he's a settler. Right. They don't say this is a human being. This is a person. It's a settler because that already dismisses it. That diminishes the seriousness of, of the crime. And you know that the, the Palestinians uh, have built about 72,000 illegal buildings. They've taken 23,000 acres of, of agricultural land, uh, which is in, in, in a state-owned land or state-controlled land. Right. And yet the world doesn't condemn the thousands of illegal <laughs> buildings that they're building in the Area C at an area under full Israeli control. And the, you know, the demonization of, of settlers, which justifies their murder because, you know, they shouldn't be there is the attitude, is really horrific. And there has to be both the destruction of the houses, I think, has value. It sends an important message that you know, you're, you're not only are you going to pay a price, but your family will pay a price. And the reverse happens because the pay to slay is still in effect. People don't know it, but the Palestinian Authority continues to pay the families of the murderers, including people who killed, um, who were involved in this killing and in the recent ones. They get paid, their family, or if they're not alive, their, their families get paid. Right. So it's, it's horrific, that, and the media coverage is so distorted and so unsympathetic to the, to the Jewish victims. Malcolm, as I often say to my guests, anything else you'd like to add in this update? Well, first of all, I do see that Secretary Blinken has been reaching out to Indonesia about uh, possible relationships with Israel and that there are other countries that are still, despite all that's going on, the signing of the deal between um, Jordan, UAE, and Israel, both for water and electricity, could have profound impact in the region. Uh, the relationship with Egypt improving and working together on economic and other matters, and especially about uh, Gaza. Uh, there are very positive things in what the, the king in Jordan and in Egypt and even in, in the Gulf countries looking and, and reestablishing their Jewish heritage sites and seeking out uh, places that uh, President Sisi is rebuilding some of the old synagogues, as did the king of Morocco and instituting um, educational courses about the history of their Jewish communities. So it's the only place, you know, while we see anti-Semitism rampant all over the world, the only place it's been diminishing is in those countries. And the other thing is that we saw that Illinois uh, Investment Authority took action against Ben and & Jerry's, and it's now uh, and seven state treasurers have written to, to, his, to um, Unilever saying that they're violating their fiduciary responsibility by allowing uh, the company to be damaged with uh, so many hundreds of millions of dollars of investments being canceled by um, states and others. So, uh, you know, we have to keep the pressure on them because it's become such a high-profile issue and to, to show that you can't get away when you want to discriminate and act against Jews.
Malcolm, I thank you. Hopefully we'll both sound better next week. Have a wonderful Shabbos, and thanks for joining us. Lots of tea. Yes, to say the least. Man. And by the way, thanks to all the listeners who've tossed in recommendations on the app and through email about what needs to be done to get my voice back into shape. Even after 38 years, it's much appreciated, and I think I've been told every type of recipe over the last 38 years. Uh, Malcolm Holine is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Friday, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time here at JM in the AM. More coming up, including Rabbi Yudin from Israel, if you keep it at JM in the AM.
Joey Newcomb, of course, with the Erev Shabbos Nigun. JM in the AM, Friday morning Erev Shabbos, candle lighting in New York, 413 on this Erev Shabbos Parsha Shmos. As we mentioned, Rabbi Yudin is in Israel, which always makes his segment on Friday morning extra special when he connects with us from the Holy Land. This time he's every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader emeritus, Congregation Shemrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. can only say I am personally so grateful that I was able to come into Eretz Yisrael right before they closed the airport and to say what a privilege it is to be here. First of all, to be here in the rain. It has been raining this past week a great deal, and therefore I say Keep on davening. When we daven in our Shemona Esrei, the bracha of Parnasa, and we say the same Talumoto Levracha that HaKadosh Baruch Hu should give rain. So, of course, we need rain all over the world, but this is the specific time that it rains in Eretz Yisrael, and we are so grateful that Baruch Hashem, they are experiencing rain. Secondly, just be aware of an interesting point that was pointed out to me, and that is that this past year, 2021, the Misparam was the biggest immigration from the United States since 1973. So with COVID and everything else going on, Baruch Hashem, 4,000 Jews came to Eretz Yisrael, and all I can say is Cain Yerbu. I'd like to, first of all, this Shabbos, we have the privilege of beginning Sefer Shmos, and we read Parshas Shmos. While there are no mitzvahs of the 613 in Parshas Shmos, what we do have is, as we understand the beginning of the Sheba Mitzrayim, the servitude in Egypt. But the Ramban, in this, his introduction to the book of Shmuz, calls it the Sefer HaGu'ula, the book of redemption. And this is a very important point for us to uh, reiterate before we look at anything in this specific parsha. And he says very clearly that if Gula were to mean that we were oppressed and now we are freed from oppression, then very clearly the book of Shmos should be one of the shortest books of the Torah. Right? Shmos for Eva, Bo, and Bishalach are the four parshios that deal with Yitzhak Mitzrayim. You want to put in Yisro, because after all, at the burning bush, which we'll talk about in a moment, Hashem says to Moshe that the very purpose of Yitzhak Mitzrayim was for Kabbalah Satora. Okay, 
I'll give you Yisro. And I'll even give you Mishpatim. Because Mishpatim is an amplification of Yisro. Namely, Yisro is the Ten Commandments, and Mishpatim is the explanation of the Ten Commandments in a much broader sense. But why do we need the second or the last third of the uh, Sefer, whereby you have Truma Titzadeh, Kisisa, Vayakel Pekude, five parshios? Why do we need that? And the Ramban reminds us that we have to keep yearning, davening for the base Hamigdash, because until we have the third base Hamigdash, we have not reached Bu'ula. Bu'ula is not just a physical redemption, but Bu'ula is a spiritual redemption. I'd like to start this program differently. I've never done something like this before. Usually there's no time for anything but absolute Torah, but I think it's so important to hear the excerpt from Mark Twain, who visited Eretz Yisrael in 1899, and he was certainly not a lover of the Jews. But listen to what he writes. He writes carefully. The Egyptian, the Babylonian, the Persian rose, filled the planet with sound and splendor, then faded to dream stuff and passed away. The Greek and the Roman followed and made a vast noise, but they are gone. Other peoples have sprung up and held their torch high for a time, but it burned out and they sit in twilight now or have vanished. The Jew saw them all. The Jew beat them all and is now what he always was, exhibiting no decadence, no infirmities of age, no weakening of his parts, no slowing of his energies, no dulling of his alert and aggressive mind. All things are mortal, but the Jew. All other forces pass, but he remains. And he concludes this observation with the question mark. What is the secret of his immortality? My friends, Seferschmos, and indeed, Parshashmos gives us a very clear answer to that. We know in chapter 3, Hashem appears to Moshe at a burning bush and basically offers Moshe the job, let's say, uh, discusses the matter with him because Moshe resists for different reasons for a week's time, but ultimately Moshe accepts and is HaKadosh Baruch Hu's emissary, emissary to go down to Mitzrayim. Why do we need in the first place the whole vision from within a burning bush? The bush is a flame, but the bush itself was not consumed. Why do we need this? What's the difference how HaKadosh Baruch Hu communicated to Moshe? The main thing is, Moshe, 
You have to know that uh, you are going to take them out of Mitzrayim. And I'd like to share with you a few interpretations and the significance of the snare. Firstly, I'd like to suggest in the name of Rav Moshe Shapira, that the snare and the fire within the snare refers to the neshama of the Jew. This is his nakuda pininus, that pintal yid, which is indestructible. And the idea is that the Ramban, and this is required reading, it's a longer Shabbos, Tonight, I know it's Parsha Shmos. Take out the Ramban on Devarim chapter 14, verse 1. And there the Ramban tells us that A, the eternity of the soul, and that's so important to us that the soul lives on. And this is demonstrated by the fire. What is fire? something which is not physical, you can't touch it. And the idea is that it is itself indestructible. And that is the neshama of the Jew. And it's for this reason that the Ramban writes, number one, the very act of mourning, availus, is a concession. We believe a person goes to a better place. Why mourn? The answer is that man is made of intellect and emotion. And because the emotions are an integral part of man, HaKadosh Baruch Hu in our Torah permits man. But as all know, on the last day of Shiva, it is Miktas Hayom Pekulo. The person has to get up shortly after Shachris is over. Why? Because we are not to over mourn. That is point one, that the snare speaks to each and every individual and says, whoa, your soul is eternal. Secondly, Rav Salavichik, the Chrono pointed out that on the outside, this snare bush looked like all other bushes. However, the fire was within. And what's this all about, the fire from within? So he explains beautifully. Moshe Rabbeinu was worried. Oy, oy, oy. What zechusim, what merits might the Jewish people have in order to leave Mitzrayim? Because... In chapter 2, when Moshe says, Now the matter is known. What's the matter? The matter not that Moshe killed the Egyptian, which caused Moshe to run away, but now Moshe says, I know why they're in servitude, because their basic character is deficient. They are Bali Lashadhara. They don't get along well with one another. And therefore, Moshe says, in what's chus? At the bush, Hashem says to Moshe, I'm going to answer your question. 
I've seen more than what you see. Moshe, you only see the outside of this people, whereby there's a great deal of negativity. I see the fire that's within each one. And the concept that Rav Salvechik explained is that each and every Jew has a Ava Misuteris, a hidden love for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And this love can never be removed. It's part, thank God, of our DNA. And so, in answer to Mark Twain, what's the secret of the Jew? The answer is, the secret is his soul. His soul comes from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The secret is that despite the bush, which represents Egypt and persecution, which we've had throughout the centuries, despite that, the fire stays on and the fire is going to burn until Bias HaGoel. So we shouldn't think that we're talking only about the servitude in Egypt. We're talking about the uh, future of the Jewish nation. Just like in Bereshis, before Yosef goes down to Mitzrayim, the Torah tells us of the birth of Peretz and Moshiach. Here, too, in this week's Parsha, before Moshe goes down to take the Jews out of their first servitude and their first liberation, we are already promised the eternity of our peoplehood that the fire will never be consumed. And finally, the Sfas Emes has a different take on the bush, and he says, interestingly, when the Torah says that there was labas esh, an intense fire within the bush, he learns that the fire represents Yisrael, the Jewish people. And the bush, listen carefully, uh, is Mitzrayim. And so the idea is, whoa, how is it possible how is it possible that the Mitzrayim can still exist, meaning that we should overpower our enemies, and to a certain extent we do? And perhaps the answer is that, unfortunately, throughout Jewish history, the Jew needed the outside force as well to keep him in line. A great deal is thus being given to us at this burning bush. Be proud, be excited to be part, not just of Jewish history, but please God, Jewish destiny. Shabbat Shalom to all.
Salah me 
local and your local day school that's having this event, the bake sale, the art sale, the whatever. First time ever there Strapped into his knapsack With his long curly hair He stood there for a while Then broke out with a smile Emotion, overwhelming joy With tears The men were dancing there The heart so full of love They sang such happy tunes Thank the one above for showing them the way, for giving them a day to rest, rejoice with peace of mind, to pray. Shabbos came along, his feelings grew so strong, he first began to feel that he belonged. Shabbos, they relay. 
Now every Friday night they go down to the wall Bite some people home and they will tell them all We'll teach you this new song to join a sing-along And soon we'll all be free, it won't be long Just one Shabbos and we'll all be free Just one Shabbos, come and join with me Let's sing and dance through the sky With our spirits so high We'll show them all it's true Let them come and join us too Just one Shabbos and we'll all be free Just one Shabbos, come and join with me Let's sing and dance through the sky With our spirits so high We'll show them all it's true Let them come and join us too Just one Shabbos and we'll all be free Just one Shabbos, come and join with me Let's sing and dance through the sky With our spirits so high We'll show them all it's true Let them come and join us too Just one Shabbos and we'll all be free Just one Shabbos, come and join with me Let's sing and dance through the sky With our spirits so high We'll show them all it's true Let them come and join us too Just one Shabbos and we'll all be free Just one Shabbos Yeah. 
Inner Flame done by Eighth Day. Wow. Thought that was an appropriate song after what Rabbi Yudin spoke about. Unbelievable. Uh, Mordechai and David's Just One Shabbos by request. This Nari done by Baruch Shalom Blasovsky. Thanks to those of you who have uh, contributed to our campaign this week. Much appreciated. I think we're just about to hit 80,000, if I'm not mistaken. Um, where are we now? Uh, yes, oh, over 79,500. That's really nice. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And that'll stay up for a while. Give people a chance who haven't had a chance yet to give uh, to do so. Feel free to comment on the app. Go to the NSN, Nahum Single Network app for Android and iPhone, and comment away. Mark Zomik, Erev Shabbos Show, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. It's coming up at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Arab Shabbos Music Mix brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. All day long. Um, final hour brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. It's coming up about 3.15 this afternoon. Tomorrow night, Saturday night, single with Avrami. They'll be on starting at around 9 uh, with Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler. And um, trying to think. Uh, oh, and Matis, of course. How could I forget? Matis, of course, with... Matis, of course, with... Um, J.M. Sunday, coming up Sunday morning, starting at 7 a.m. Eastern Time right here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Simple as that. Monday, please, God, we're back here Monday morning at 6 a.m. to start off another week of J.M. in the a.m. More coming up. Keep it here at J.M. in the a.m.
princes among men in the service of Hashem. It's a bond that never ends, no. And thank God for that. You are princes among men in the service of Hashem. It's a love that never ends, no. And thank God for that, cause... Yoni Z with Crown. We are trying to... I don't know why it's not going. We're trying to play our... Uh, there we go. Trying to play our Friday theme. <coughs> Time to say good job. His journey's a jam. Man. Baby. 
Shabbos, all those nails won't run away. So throw away your hammer. There's nothing left to do. Achenu Israel and Achimachem, our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments morning radio program. Heard on listeners, sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSegal.com and the NachumSegal Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. Wraps up an amazing Friday here at JM in the AM. Thanks so much for tuning in. Mark Zamek, 10 a.m. Eastern Time for the Arab Shabbos Show, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Final hour coming up about 3.15 Eastern Time. Brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Erev Shabbos Music Mix. All day long brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Tomorrow night, Saturday night, Siegel with Avrami and Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler. And Sunday, it's Matas with JM Sunday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern Time. Make sure to be tuned in. Have a fabulous Shabbos. Great weekend. Till Monday, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future. <laughs>